Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. You have a band, good or bad? It's a great band, it's a bad band, it's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what, there's music in the air. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we have got what is shaping up to be one of the biggest albums of the year, if not the decade, according to the marketing program. Uh, is Beyonce that true? Knowles. Oh, I thought you were talking about up. TV on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> no. TV on the radio has made an excellent record, and we will be reviewing it later on in the show. But uh, the record that everybody's talking about in the next couple of weeks will be this Beyonce record. Beyonce, who is half of the biggest power couple in, in pop music with uh, Jay-Z, the kingpin rapper of New York City. Beyonce's got her second solo record coming out, and we are going to be re- reviewing it as well as talking about her new movie. She's probably got 17 commercials in the works as well, as well yeah. as a new tour. She's all over the place. She is the diva of the day. We have also got an incredible live performance from Government Mule, the band that is led by Warren Haynes, an amazing vocalist, great guitarist, the only jam band we think that matters. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're the heaviest of the jam bands, without a doubt. And later on, I've got a Desert Island jukebox pick, Greg. But first, as always, we have some news. George Bush doesn't care about black people. What you're hearing right now is the legendary KO, a Houston hip-hop group that recorded a song called George Bush Doesn't Care About Black People in the immediate aftermath of one of the greatest tragedies this country's ever experienced, the uh, Hurricane Katrina storm, which basically blew out New Orleans and a good chunk of the Gulf Coast, causing $81.2 billion in damage, 61,000 homes damaged or destroyed, death toll of over 1,600 in Louisiana. Jim, it's one year later since the Katrina disaster, and I think in that one year, we've already seen more musical responses to that tragedy than we saw to the September 11th tragedy in New York City Yeah, no doubt about it. No, if you think about that concert for 9-11, uh, which was about two weeks after 9-11, the music wasn't nearly as focused and emotional as the immediate aftermath from whence came that famous Kanye West, George Bush doesn't like black people quote, where, where musicians like Aaron Neville were singing their hearts out about the tragedy in New Orleans. The legacy of uh, New Orleans is inextricable when it comes to talking about the city and its culture and the musical legacy that it has. And I think that's part of the reason that it has inspired so much great music. But, uh, you know, perhaps the most famous New Orleans-directed effort was that collaboration between Alan Toussaint, the great New Orleans composer, and Elvis Costello. Toussaint, one of the great producers of that region, uh, lost both his home and his recording studio. Still yeah. hasn't been able to return to New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and that got- song, The River in Reverse, is, is quite clearly about Katrina and the aftermath. How long does the promise last? How long can a lie 
spring and summer, began his tour at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, and recorded a song, basically a cover of a blind Alfred Reed blues, How Can a Poor Man Stand Such Times and Live, Mm. and recorded new verses directly addressing the Katrina disaster. There's bodies floating on canal and the levee's gone to hell. Martha, get me my 16 gauge and some dry shells. Who's got got out of town And them who ain't got left to drown Tell me how can a poor man stand such times He performed it throughout his spring and summer tour and basically turned it into a tribute to uh, the Katrina victims. Some uh, people have heard references to Katrina and, and flooding and disaster in the last albums by Paul Simon and mm-hmm. by Bob Dylan. We talked last week about the Audio Slave record. It's got that one song, Looking the Hurricane in the Eye, right. and then you know, going on to criticize the president for, for selling lives for oil. They have a very active hip-hop community as well. Uh, Juvenile recorded a song, Get Your Hustle On, before the uh, Katrina disaster but then basically made the video for the song, and this was very much commented upon. Some of the first footage, certainly seen on MTV, yeah. of the disaster. I mean, basically turned it into a pop video, yeah. well, a song, which showed the tragedy very much uh, directly and in your face. A in song that, that had nothing to do with Katrina. And for that reason, it seemed a little forced. Yeah. But at the same time, it you know there was a lot of 15-year-old kids in California or, or New York who may not have been aware of exactly the extent of the tragedy down there, exactly right. what was going wrong. And, and for that reason, the and juvenile, juvenile video was showing valuable. them the images. Yeah. Absolutely. But then there's this guy, too, who's uh, contributing from the hip-hop community in New Orleans. An interesting take, Jim, I would say, Well, yeah, the, well, this tragedy. is No, this, we're going <laughs> from the poignant to the absolutely absurd here. Master P has put out what is being billed as the first hip-hop gospel comedy play. <laughs> I didn't know that was a genre that anybody was waiting for. He's just invented it. Uh, called Uncle Willie's Family. And it is inspired by the Katrina tragedy Willie tells the story of an ex-Vietnam vet who takes in his family after their home was destroyed by the hurricane. What's up, y'all? I'm Master P. I'm Silk the Shocker. And the kid, Lil' Romeo. God has blessed us in many ways, and we figured it's only right for us to give y'all the first hip-hop gospel play. Oh, yeah, Uncle Willie's family is coming to your town real soon. I'm telling you, it's going to be off the chain. I see you in the church! I mean, this just sounds like a tremendous disaster waiting to happen. It's going to star Master P, Romeo, Silk the Shocker, and Terry Miles. You know, there's nothing Master P can't do. He I mean, raps, he produces, he, he tried to play basketball. Great, great talent. You know, now he's a, th- a playwright. Uh, it's really it's really a credit to New Orleans that someone like him is the, looking after their best interests. The question is, will play. it be uh, better uh, or worse than Idlewild? Yeah. However, having read a little bit of that script, I can say this. I think the new album by the Dirty Dozen Brass Band as an artistic effort surpasses the play. 
play written by Master You're P. You're prejudging P's play. Yeah, this Dirty Dozen Brass Band record is uh, one of the most poignant musical efforts inspired by Katrina. It's basically a cover version of the Marvin Gaye protest album, What's Going On, recorded in the early 70s in response to the civil rights strife in this country, the Vietnam War. Gaye really broke a lot of ground with that record, a song cycle from an African-American musician about the state of the country. What's really astonishing, 35 years later, how applicable that work still is to what happened in, in New Orleans over the last year. They were joined by a number of guest vocalists on this record, including Chuck D. of Public Enemy. I mean, who are you going to call when you got a protest album to do? Chuck D. of Public oh, Enemy, go, that's yeah. an obvious one. Ivan Neville uh, also does some guest vocals on this record. I think the blowaway standout performance on this record is by the Detroit soul singer Betty Lavette. And uh, she does a version of What's Happening, Brother, that I think really summarizes the tragedy. As, as a musical statement about the tragedy, I don't think you can get any better than this. It's the Dirty Dozen Brass Band with Betty Lovett on Marvin Gaye's What's Happening, Brother. Sound Opinions. Hey, baby, what you know good? Just getting back, but you knew damn well I would. What is hell? Tell me when will it end? When will folks start getting together again? Are things really getting better? Like the newspaper said. What else is new, my friend? Besides all this stuff I read, I can't find me to work, can't find me to job, my friend. Money's tied up than it's ever been. Oh, I just don't understand what's going on across this land. What's Happening, Brother, a Marvin Gaye song recorded by the Dirty Dozen Brass Band and Betty LaVette. There is going to be more New Orleans music, Jim, without a doubt, in coming months and probably years. The next thing up, Wycliffe Jean and Nora Jones are collaborating on a track called Any Other Day with the proceeds going to Katrina relief efforts. In some cheerier music news, we've got the much-anticipated second solo album from the wannabe supreme diva of the day, Beyoncé. Yo, yo, yo. 
Ah, yes, a little sweat never hurt nobody. <laughs> that is Beyonce Knowles on her second solo album, B-Day, uh, a track called Get Me Bodied, where she's uh, kind of doing a strange cross between double Dutch rhyming and reggae rap toasting. Uh, kind of strange. This is the follow-up to Beyonce's phenomenally successful 2003 album, Dangerously in Love, which uh, was her solo break from Destiny's Child, one of the best-selling female pop groups of all time. This album is dropping, Greg, in time for her 25th birthday. B-Day is short for birthday, although Beyonce, according to the gossip columns, is reportedly aghast that many people are pronouncing the album B-Day. <laughs> Uh, this is bothering her. I think she's going to have bigger problems. She's going to have bigger problems. Yeah. Well, we don't want to tip our hand and get to the review. We're just trying to set this up. She, she may have bigger problems, though, because her father manager, Matthew Knowles, who has precision executed her career from before Destiny's Child. I mean, she was a child star raised to be a superstar. Mm-hmm. He apparently didn't have much to do with this album, and, and he's out there kind of grousing about that, and she's out there you know, kind of positing it as a go-my-own-way album and you know, my own woman. On the other hand, she's got a bevy of superstar producers, including the Neptunes. I believe this has got to be the fourth or fifth show in a row where we've dropped the name of that production team. The Neptunes and Rodney Jerkins and Stargate and Rich Harrison. He's the guy who had crafted that big hit for her the first time around, Crazy in Love. So all these different producers are coming on there, and she's doing a little bit of everything. She's got some old-school soul, complete with the scratchy record sounds dropped in. And she's got some Whitney Houston multi-octave balladry, and she's got some hip-hop club jams with the uh, freakum dress you know what a freakum dress is greg well i've recently been informed as to yeah. what it is it's the That's dress that the woman puts on when when she's trying to woo her man when, back be- when because she's trying he's to freak him bored. out yeah well no, no she's also trying to freak people out it's like it's a little it's naughty it's racy yeah, yeah. and deja vu which is one of two tracks that she does with her boyfriend jay-z let's play a song you wanted to hear irreplaceable so this is uh, beyonce from the new album b-day on sound opinions Yes, if I bought it, nigga, please don't touch on that and keep talking and that's, that's fine. But could you walk and talk at the same time? And it's my name that's on that tag. So remove your back, let me call you a cab. Sending in the front yard, telling me how I'm such a fool. Talking about how I'll never ever find a man like you. You got me to stand. You must not know about me. You That's Irreplaceable from Beyonce's new record, B-Day. As you can hear in the lyrics, she's basically finally fed up with this guy that she's been uh, wooing the entire record and says, go ahead and get out of here because I've had it. Um, It comes at the midpoint of the record, and and this is basically a song cycle. It is a, a record that she is essentially asking listeners to hear as a whole. It's a story of a love affair. And, you know, kind of uh, ambitious in that respect. I have to say, though, for the woman who wrote songs like Independent Women Part 1 and Survivor, she's playing arm candy. She's uh, seduced by the bling. She's seduced by this man. 
and she is totally subservient to him, which I find really disturbing. I mean, this is a, a singer who has built her career on this sort of sense of independence, and I write my own songs, and I have, I'm in charge of you know, my career. So there's some troubling sort of undercurrents in this record. Uh, well, at the same time, her ego is not hurting, though, Greg, because mm-hmm. on that song, Upgrade, one of the two that Jay-Z drops by for, she's actually saying, I can do for you what Martin did for the people. Yeah, no, it's... Comparing herself to Martin Luther King. I was like, yeah, uh, sure. But yeah, why, why you would want to think about any guy, especially a guy who's apparently cheating on you and bored with you, as, as she's describing this affair sort of deteriorating, why she would want to go to those lengths, you know, the freakum dress that you were talking uh, about earlier. You know, I got to put this freakum dress on to win you back because I'm, you know I'm, you're bored with me. I'm kind of aghast that you even thought this much as as, as much as you did about yeah. the lyrics here because they're completely irrelevant. Oh, I don't think yeah. they're irrelevant at all. Oh, I think okay, that's I think that's look, the whole point of this record. I, now, wish, now, I wish I'd just been able to focus on the music. No, now, now look, this is now just one of several exercises of Beyonce World Enterprises Incorporated, okay? <laughs> There's you know, no doubt she, about she that. She is quite clearly focused on her debut as the Diana Ross-like figure in Dreamgirls, mm-hmm. which is the big Hollywood picture that's coming out around Christmas. This was kind of tossed out in between, I think. Her heart is not in this. She wants to be the number one diva in pop music today, and she's trying to give something for everybody throughout this record. And as I said in the introduction there, you know, she's doing a little of everything. The Whitney Houston ballads and the hip-hop club jams and, and that weird i mean get me bodied i can't believe you wanted to play that because it's weird you know what no, is I, she doing doing that kind of fake jamaican thing uh, i think that's kind of actually one of the better tracks on the record i, I think, think the album's an unfocused mess i i like sugar mama which uh harrison had crafted crazy in love built on a, a shy light sample this track sugar mama actually turns to jake wade and the soul searchers the way you do it for me Put her over a cool soul sample. She's okay. She's got a great voice, but she is not nearly half the diva that she thinks she is. I mean, this is a trash at record, if you ask me. Uh, I, I think musically, it's actually kind of strong. Her voice sounds great. The beats are pretty good. I just think she's lost her uh, her sense of chutzpah, her just her heart. Uh, so she, if I'm if I'm trashing it on the sound opinions uh, rating scale of buy it, burn it, trash it, you are. I would say it's, uh, at best, a burn-it record. Well, you know, in the diva category, I think she's the best of all the divas, but no, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I uh, incredible amount of doubt has entered into my mind, and I'm disappointed. All right, Mr. Cott. One guy we are not disappointed in, Greg, is Mr. Warren Haynes, who's been on the show a couple of times in his solo, guys. But for the first time on Sound Opinions, we've got Warren and all of Government Mule. That's going to be as soon as we come back on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm here with my partner, Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. A little bit of backstory here. <laughs> 89 or thereabouts, uh, Warren Haynes and Alan Woody were playing with a little band called the Allman Brothers. And uh, in time, they put together a side project called Government Mule with drummer Matt Abst. Basically started recording in 1994. A dozen albums, I believe, by my count, Warren, since that time. I, I guess counting the live records. The live records. Yeah. That's, a, that's a pretty prolific output, about 12 albums. Uh, I think you hit the 1,000 show mark in uh, 2004. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you must be close to a couple thousand by this point. Uh, it's getting closer, yeah. yeah. Alan died in 2000, and uh, we've had Warren on the show before and mm-hmm. uh, talked about that and uh, talked about those extraordinary albums that the band made. Uh, there was a time when, when Matt and Warren weren't sure if they were going to continue. I don't think any musician in rock history has gotten a better tribute than those two Deep End albums where some of the most respected bass players in the history of music came in and, and filled in for Woody. But the best part about Government Mule is since then two more studio albums. The band has solidified now with uh, Andy Hess on bass and Danny Lewis on drums and for the first time... On oh, keyboards. On keyboards, I'm sorry. Yeah, Matt's still on drums. Yeah, they haven't replaced <laughs> Matt yet. <laughs> and uh, I'm just so excited because for the first time we've had warren on the show twice it's just been him and the acoustic we have got the entire mule here yeah ready to kick at wall-to-wall uh, studios down here in the chicago loop so welcome guys thank you it's gonna be a little heavier than what we've done before right warren <laughs> uh, i hope so yeah the acoustic thing can only get so heavy but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah it should should be as, as heavy as we can get at this time of day well why don't we just have you guys play a song and give people who don't know government mule a taste of uh of Government Mule right off the bat, and then we'll dive a little deeper. Warren. Okay, you got it. Uh, Child of the Earth. A one, two, three. <laughs> Precious we 
Child of the Earth, Government Mule, here on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. What a treat that was. Thank you, Warren. Thank you so much. Absolutely. There's a little bit of venting going on in this record. Some reckoning, a sense of uh, false promises. You know, I'm picking up some of that vibe in song like Endless Parade, Nothing Again, Um, Like Flies. Let me me just quote a a lyric back at you. Uh, Basically a song about the triumph of mediocrity. We're at a place in history 
where the bar is at an all-time low. Art has no place in this world of the supersize. That, the best Pretty. line, though, is the guy who can't tell uh, Vin Diesel from Van Gogh. Van Gogh, yeah. <laughs> that's... Now that's, you know, you're, you're, pretty, you're spelling it out uh, Look, it makes pretty clearly there. Still. He wrote it. It still makes yeah. it. That's yeah. why I know I've come up with a good one when yeah. it makes me laugh when I read it. Well, we did this in-store at Virgin the other night, and this kid came up to me and goes, so what's your beef with Vin Diesel? <laughs> I was like, I'm just reporting the news, man. I don't have a beef. Uh, <laughs> so, where well, you're ticked off. Where are you coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere somebody said art is less important right now than it's ever been. And I, and I think, you know what? That's true. It, it's true. People are more concerned with being famous than ever. Uh, hence reality TV shows and mm. the new Paris Hilton record, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I don't have anything against anybody to do what they do, but I think it's very important that you try and focus on your craft and get as good as possible at what you do as opposed to cutting every possible corner to be famous, and I think that's what this generation is doing right now, mm. uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of disturbing. Nonetheless, Warren, you're talking about this this cultural vacuum that we're living in, uh, you're a classic example of a band, though, that is very successful without having to have that mainstream sort of cultural uh, patina that, uh, you know, some of these performers you're talking about have to have in order to be successful. I mean, you, you're a band that has found its audience on the road. You're playing to full houses around the country, around the world with, you know, minimal airplay on, on commercial radio. You found it on the road, the, the old-fashioned way. That's the way this audience has built its following. You know, we've been really lucky because we just continue to do what we do, and we've always played music that we like, and it's uncompromised. And re- regardless of, of what any of our hardcores think about the new directions that we're going into at any given moment, we're going where we want to go, and I think that's what you have to do to be true to yourself. And thankfully, we've built an audience that keeps getting younger and younger and, and bigger, so I guess in some ways we're proof that you don't have to uh, put everything you have into having a hit record on your first record. But unfortunately, we've reached a point with the music business where if your first record doesn't hit, you may not make a second record. And that's really unfortunate. I think uh, another good thing about the old days was that bands could continue to make records and get better and better and have their audience grow. But there's no artist development anymore. Let me put you on the hot seat, uh, Warren, and and ask the other guys. (laughs) You're still playing in the Allman Brothers. Uh, Hey, Matt, is it ever difficult uh, running Government Mule's career when Warren has these other commitments to the Allman Brothers? And that's, like, among other things. I mean, you know, playing on tons of people's records and doing all this stuff. Is that a source of frustration, or is is he really as superhuman as it seems to those of (laughs) us outside the band, and he just does everything? It really hasn't been a problem he because he makes time uh quality time for all those projects um you know right after woody died it was uh we were trying to uh, figure out what to do next and uh, that's actually when he did a lot of the other projects the the, the grateful dead phil lush and friends uh um and that type of thing mm-hmm. and um I, you know we were figuring out what to do in that time period we also did the deep end projects which uh you know, had us play with everybody, and it was such a remarkable uh, project that we did there. And then once we found uh, Danny and Andy, of course, we've been going pretty strong. And, uh, you know, I would hate to have Warren's schedule. I'd, I'd be dead <laughs> yeah. by now, I think. Uh, 
if people don't know what that deep end thing was, I mean, it was extraordinary. After Woody died, yeah. uh, bass players came in. Everybody from Chris Squire, right, to... Uh, John Entwistle, uh, Jack Bruce. Entwistle. What does it feel like to be the only drummer in the world who's played with every great bass player <laughs> in yeah. rock history? Pretty damn lucky, I'll you tell know, you I mean, that. Keith Moon, that, it was okay, but he only played with Entwistle, right? You know, Bill Bruford, not bad, but he only played with Squire. You played with them both. And, and in a weird kind of way, I guess that was uh, Alan Woody's gift to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRigatis, and we're talking with uh, Government Mule. Warren, we were talking about sort of the content of this record. Uh, there's some ticked-off music on this on this record. Some some. Uh, it seemed like there was a reckoning in your life where you're doing a lot of reflecting and, and, and a lot of things that you were looking at in the world sort of outside were causing you some anguish, to say the least. Yeah, I think... Uh now more than ever it's time for people to speak out you know about anything and everything politically we're at a time where if we don't make some changes then uh there's some catastrophic circumstances ahead you know so i i would encourage everybody to make their opinions known these days and everybody to research your political candidates and whatever it takes to try and uh get things back on the right track politically you know you know it's a it's an age-old question i mean uh do, do you see a, a rock band making a difference in, in this kind of an environment uh not if they don't try you know i mean it's <laughs> like uh you have a voice who hears it is is kind of irrelevant if if you don't use it you'll never know the answer you know like a, a friend of mine used to say the answer is always no until you ask so mm-hmm. You know, you're, it's crazy to not speak your mind, and, and especially right now. What did you think, Warren, of uh, of Neil Young's last record? Greg and I talked about it a lot. You know, he's, he's saying point blank, "Let's impeach the president." Uh, God <laughs> <for> bless. <lying. laughs> God bless Neil Young. You know, is, is all I have to say yeah. <laughs> about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been saying that for a long, long time. But uh, yeah. we we can all take a cue from Neil. And, and actually, I think. Uh, the song Unring the Bell from the new record might be on Neil's anti-war uh, website that he's got going. Hey, these, these getting days. props from yeah. Neil is, is a way to go. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, of course, <laughs> it takes a Canadian, but he's American now. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have nothing but respect for Neil, and I'm so glad that he did that record. And anybody that uh, thinks it's self-indulgent... Uh, is missing the point. You, you know? have to worry, though, about, about, we were talking earlier about the Dixie Chicks, you know? I mean, they're paying a price. They're getting half their tour canceled. You know, Neil is, is getting hate mail and getting threats, and people are saying, you know, Springsteen got a tremendous amount of crap, uh, mm-hmm. and he's Springsteen, right? I mean, uh, did you think about that? I'm going to speak my mind in songs like Unring the Bell, songs like Mr. High and Mighty. Yeah. I, I can remember a few fans here and there saying, you know, it's not your place to, to preach or to get political or whatever, but... Uh, our uh, message is a lot more subliminal. We don't get quite as graphic, you know. But, hey, Bob Dylan started getting hate mail in, like, 1963 or something. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, are we going to not take a cue from Dylan because of that? You know, I mean, yeah. uh, part of the deal is that we're they want us to live in fear. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, if we do, then they're getting their way. Uh, so, you know, if you don't stand up and, and say something, mm. then you really have no right to, yeah. to bitch. 
We want to wrap up. We want to get one more song from you. In the song you're going to play, the title track of the album, it's Mr. High and Mighty. Uh, you know, your you, buildings crumble and peasants cower at the sound of your name. That makes you <laughs> angry. Now, you are not a small man, you know, and I, I don't imagine you ever got beat up on the playground. Uh, not too much, but it wasn't because of, of that. I think, uh, I don't know, maybe I just chose my circle properly and mm. hung, hung out with the right people. But I, I, I never had much of a problem with that. But the anger in this album seems to me to be coming from a place of, uh, of, of you're seeing people that are, that are already down and other people are kicking them. Yeah, that's, that's happening a lot, I think. And, and uh, there's a lot of high and mightiness in the world right now. You, know, mm. you, could, you could pick a lot of examples of, of where that exists. And um, that's kind of the overall uh, thread that runs throughout this whole record, you know. All right. Well, thank you guys. This has been a, a, a real freaking treat for the two of us. That's yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> so, pleasure. Uh, the title track, Mr. High and Mighty, it's, a, it's an album both of us love on Sound Opinions. Thank you.
man. Beautiful. Mr. High and Mighty. Title track from Government Mule's new album. Thank you, fellas. We want to thank uh, the folks here at Wall to Wall Recording Studio, downtown Chicago, too. Dan Dietrich, the engineer, and uh, Frank Caruso and Brad Stevenson helping him out. And Jim Walsh over at Big Hassle yeah. for making this happen. So, uh, been a real pleasure. Thanks. For more exclusive live songs from Government Mule and more of this interview, visit soundopinions.org. Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media will be right back. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is TV on the radio. That is the first track. Imagine that. You, you drop this uh, into your CD player or your uh, computer, and that's the first thing you hear. It's a song called I Was a Lover from the new TV on the radio record Return to Cookie Mountain, the major label debut for uh, TV on the radio. They got quite a bit of notice in 2004 with a record on an independent label, Touch and Go, Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes. Now they're trying to make the leap to Interscope. The label that gave us Eminem, for God's sake. Yeah, U2's label. I mean, these guys are used to selling records by the millions. Whether this kind of, Can this kind of music, TV on the radio's music, translate into a multi-million selling type label like Interscope? That's the question before this band right now. Uh, but let's address the music first. Uh, before we get into our review, a couple of things to note here. The key members of the band are uh, the vocalist Tundi Adabimpe and Kip Malone. You can hear their vocals front and center throughout this record. They harmonize in kind of a very distinctive way. Falsetto vocals, counterpoint vocals, really eerie, weird harmonies. And the production style of Andrew Sytek, that's really been a key to the band. As you can tell it from that snippet of the track we just played, this band is about atmosphere as much as songs, soundscapes, guitars that don't really sound like guitars, drums that don't sound like drums, mixtures of sound that create a sort of a disorienting effect. This 
track that we're going to play right here is an example of one of their more straightforward pieces of music no, on this the, record. It's the straightest uh, song on this album. So if, if this if you consider this too weird, yeah. you, you may not like you, the rest of the caution record. Caution is yeah. advised, yes. <laughs> this is uh, Wolf Like Me. comes right in the center point of the record. It's a song that I happen to like quite a bit. And it's from Return to Cookie Mountain by TV on the radio on Sound Opinions. Like Me, the rockingest track from TV on the radio's new major label debut, Return to Cookie Mountain. Greg, I ventured to say that you don't know what that title means, do you? Wolf Like Me? No, no, no. Return to Cookie Mountain. Oh, no. I have no idea. Cookie Mountain apparently (laughs) is the third world in the Super Mario video game. The third of seven levels that you... Are you the connoisseur of the uh, Super Mario game? I I haven't played anything since Tetris. (laughs) But uh, I did look that up. And I think that that's good to point out. Because what I think TV on the radio, I think in their best moments, they are a more soulful and very, very American version of the radio head of OK Computer. In that they're creating these alien soundscapes. Mm -hmm that are uniquely their own, that are about the tensions of living in the modern world. I think in their worst moments, they are like David Bowie's The Lodger on ecstasy and crystal meth simultaneously. <laughs> the Bowie a comparison, I think, is actually such a rock critic. Because, oh, yeah, I know. I, 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 is that those are my rock criticiest uh, comparisons yeah. I could make. Bowie's a, an appropriate comparison, though, because he drops by to guest on a song called Province, mm-hmm. and I think that's a clue. I think Bowie, during those art rock Berlin albums, is, is kind of one of many influences one of the difficulties with this record is that they're all over the place. I mean, there's so many influences. There's literally a track that combines old school 50s doo-wop and Lee Scratch Perry dub reggae, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of what every song is doing. They're all over the map. You can't help but be impressed by some of it, and you can't help but be put off by other parts of it. Mm. Because I, in particular, have a problem with Tunde Adebimpi's falsetto. When he does that high Prince-like Camille thing, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, the only thing that is anchoring this sonic hurricane at some points is his vocal, as we heard in Wolf Like Me. But then when he goes into the stratosphere with that helium, Warble, it's like, wow, I, I, my head hurts. Wow, I love the singing on this record. I, to my mind, you're not going to hear a better vocal record this year. Just the distinctiveness of what they're doing with the harmonies, with the way their voices sound, with the way they counterpoint each other and contrast with each other on this record. I'm talking about Malone and Adabimpe. To me, really stunning and really inventive on it, continually throughout this record. The soundscapey meets songs kind of underpinning 
I like that too. I think it's really cool. I like the fact that you can't really identify what any of these instruments are that are making these sounds. It's to me putting me in this alien soundscape that makes me realize, hey, you know, this maybe this is you know a, kind of a vision of the urban nightmare that we're getting ourselves into. You know, the disorientation, the dizziness of it. I mean, uh, it's comparing... a fresh sound. It's as fresh as when remember when Tricky debuted mm-hmm. with that album Max and Quay. Yeah, you know where it was. It was a sound called trip hop, and it was this gritty urban paradigm annoyed kind of uh, very claustrophobic sound I think this is this is it creates its own world in a similar way it's just not successful beginning to end is what I'm saying yeah I think there's a a few moments on the record that could be better but I kind of like the weird juxtapositions that you seem to no no I like those I just don't like the falsetto uh, you can tell that these guys went into the studio and said, okay, the, all the rules are gone. You know, We're mm-hmm. not paying attention to anything else that's going out there. We're going to make our own thing here. And, and I think they've succeeded completely. Jim, you and I both, I think, value records that create their own atmosphere, their own world. And I really value a return to Cookie Mountain for that. Uh, you step inside this record, and you don't feel like you're anywhere else. Yeah. There's no other record. Oh, this reminds me of such and such. This mm-hmm. reminds me of X, or Y, or Z. This reminds me of... This TV on the radio record, and that's it. And I, I think just for the, the freshness of the sound, and there's enough hooks in here to pull me in. You heard that song, Wolf Like Me, one of the most inventive and best records of the year as far as I'm concerned. Oh, so, so it's a so buy it all the way for, for you. me. Yep. I, I've got to couch it with a burn it, Greg, because I, I do think that parts of it are very hard to listen to, and, and I'm not as sold on the vocals as you. But on the, on the other hand, I think we're going to see really interesting things from these guys in the future, but I can't recommend it beginning to end, so it's a burn it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just to cast away, island lost at sea. Now I'm stranded on my own. Stranded far from home. Come on. You remember? We were shipwrecked together. Stranded out of the home. Stranded, yeah, I'm on my own. Each week, one of us pops a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox and emerges with a track they cannot live without. And i got to say, the buzz was building about Jim's particular track today. A lot of people were talking about this, saying, ooh, well, now that, that's cool. How am I going to live up to that? Now? Know. Well, you know, our ace producer, Matt Fingerspiegel, is back after being sick for a couple of weeks. And he said, uh, made a suggestion, said, well, maybe choose a disaster-themed Desert Island jukebox pick. Jim, uh, and bring it back to where we started with uh, Hurricane Katrina at the beginning of the show. I thought I would go with a slightly more upbeat vein. Uh, It's still a disaster song in some ways, but uh, It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine by R.E.M. is more of a celebratory, you know, dancing as the Titanic goes under the waves kind of tune. You know, in the great tradition of Dylan's subterranean homesick blues, where it's this almost Dada surrealist beat poet torrent of words that's coming out. And it's timely, too, because R.E.M. has just put out a two-day compilation of the best of their IRS years, the early days when they were on the independent label before they signed to Warner Brothers, and I think quite clearly now, (laughs) the better half of their career, for sure. There's been a couple of good albums since Warner Brothers, but boy have they let me down. This song, however, is from when they were great, and this is one of the most celebratory songs, right on that cusp of when they were starting to become an arena act, a huge act that you would hear on pop radio, and something that we'd loved as an underground act. This song, what's more, has a uh, sort 
sort of personal connection to me because uh, I, I wrote the biography of Lester Bangs, the great late rock critic, and I had talked to Peter Buck of R.E.M. about this song because there's a really interesting lyric. This is also the first album, really, that marks where you were finally able to understand what Michael Stipe was <laughs> singing. And even though we could hear the words, it still didn't make any sense, right? But the verse that always jumped out at me was he sings uh, Leonard Bernstein, Lenny Bruce, and Lester Bangs, birthday party, cheesecake, jelly beans, boom! What is that about? <laughs> I'm writing this book about Lester Bangs. I went to Stipe and I went to Buck and I asked them. And apparently when they were young art school students from University of Georgia in Athens, Buck and Stipe road tripped up north here to New York City and they were up there to see the B-52s and Joe King Carrasco and the Crowns were playing on a bill with the B-52s and somebody in New York threw a big party for them. And since Buck and Stipe had not eaten for a week, they went to the party hoping to have some free food before they drove back down to Georgia and the only thing to eat at this party was birthday cake and jelly beans. <laughs> and Lester Banks, the famous gonzo rock critic, was there. And Peter Buck and Stipe were huge fans of him. And they went over and introduced themselves. And Lester called him a, a name I can't say on the radio because he was drunk and walked off. So he was dissed by his hero <laughs> the one and only time he met him. And then Lester proceeded in his drunken fury to start a food fight. And there was jelly beans and, and birthday cake flying everywhere. <laughs> the, the reason all those other characters, Greg, I mean, it's mainly inspired this song by Lester Bangs. And my Michael Stipe had had this dream, though, and everybody else in his dream who was at the party, not in real life, but in the dream, uh, and involved in the food fight, all had the initials, like Lester Bangs, of LB. So you have Leonard Bernstein, <laughs> Lenny Bruce, Leonid Brezhnev, and Lester uh -huh. Bangs. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine by R.E.M. <laughs>
Uh, you know, I cannot hear that song enough. Uh, one of the great tracks of the 80s, Jim. It's the end of the world as we know it from R.E.M., a great choice for your Desert Island jukebox. Uh, next week, we're going to do something a little different, though. We're going to go the opposite end of the spectrum, do a 180. You know, there's good music, and there's bad music, and then there's the music you just can't help yourself. We're you, talking about guilty pleasures, yes, of yeah. course. We're going to confess things that we love that we know we shouldn't. Every every morsel of our critical being tells us we have better taste than to like this music, and yet, nevertheless, we like it. Yes, we are also, not only are we going to expose ourselves, musically at least, uh, <laughs> we are going to have the listeners of Sound Opinions join us as well and reveal their guilty pleasures. So there's going to be a lot of confessing going on. Next yeah, week. mainly because we wanted some company. We didn't want to <laughs> mortify ourselves and be lonely. We have some people to thank on the way out. We have Tori Southside Malatia is our executive producer and biggest fan. Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director. Matt Fingerspiegel is back in the saddle as producer. Our associate producers are Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. We get some technical help from Joe Dassault, some legal help from Dino Armiros. Recording Government Mule for us was Dan Dietrich and the folks at Wall to Wall. And uh, Jim Russell is at American Public Media. Jim Russell, a man who likes his jelly beans, his cake, and we could have a food fight with him anytime because he's that kind of guy. <laughs>